So this morning, as I said, we are continuing this series called Formed Practices of Love for the Life of the World. And each week what we're doing is we're looking at a particular spiritual discipline, a spiritual practice, but rather than even thinking about those things in a way that's like, oh, what's this hyper-spiritual thing I gotta go and do? We're realizing, oh, God has invited us to find renewal in just the everyday, ordinary, mundane things of life. So even like last week, we looked at renewed eating and how that plays into the practice of hospitality, all right? And so the big idea in this, I've used this quote a couple of times from Robert Mulholland, says this, spiritual formation is a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. A process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. That's not just for you, for me. It's not like, oh, cool, me and Jesus are, are great. What does that do as it permeates out and how do we actually live our lives together as the church? So this morning, we're gonna talk about something uh, that we've been created for, designed for. You and I are designed for community. It's part of what is so difficult during this pandemic is the ways that we've typically experience community and a, uh, this, this oneness together um, has gotten incredibly disrupted, all right? And so there's this way that God has designed us. I mean, God exists in community, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we're told we're made in his image. And so there's this invitation that we have as communal people to socialize. And so what I want to look at this morning is this idea of renewed socializing. And if we're going to actually enjoy relationships, if we're going to be committed to one another, that this call to be in community and a call to serve one another, what we find over and over again in the scriptures and particularly in the life of Jesus is that renewed socializing actually happens when we engage in the rhythm, the practice, the discipline of solitude. And that might be counterintuitive, right? Might be thinking like, I thought socializing is to be with people and now you're telling me to go be maybe by myself and how do those things actually go together? But I think we'll see if we really understand this practice that we're invited into, it will actually help relationships flourish. Our socializing, our call to be together, not only as the church, but out into the broader community. And to help us understand this, we're gonna look at a, uh, an account in the life of Jesus that takes place early on in the Gospel of Mark. So if you got a Bible, I'd encourage you to go to Mark chapter one. In just a moment, I'm gonna read verses 29 to 39. And if you don't have a Bible or you just want to follow along, another means, just go to cpwp.life, click message notes, all right? You'll just have to swipe over to a couple of cards. And anything that's up on the screen this morning, including the text that we're going to be in, is listed there. And so in this, I'm going to go ahead and read these verses. Um, we have this account in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark is kind of known for, it's the shortest of the Gospels, and it's just this kind of rapid fire. Jesus did this and then this. And there's this word oftentimes, it's like immediately. And then he, he went and talked with these people or he did this miracle and immediately he left this town. And, and it's just, I mean, even in chapter one alone, I mean, it's just this rapid fire, like, whoa, it's kind of exhausting even just reading it. We get some insight into the life of Jesus who was the most engaged communal being that's ever lived, right? Engaged in relationships, socializing with people. We looked at that even last week, that he was accused of being a drunkard, drunkard and a glutton. He's a friend of sinners. Like the guy was good at socializing, but what fueled that we'll see is his time connecting with the father, his time in solitude. So Mark chapter one, I'm gonna read verses 29 to 39. Picks up here in this account, Jesus has been doing all these teachings and miracles and we're gonna hear about a couple of them here. It says, and immediately he left the synagogue 
And he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So he's got this group of people together. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening, verse 32, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, verse 35, look at this. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, and he went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Church, before we get further into this text, let's take a moment to pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds, our thinking. I'm gonna put a prayer up on the screen. And wherever you are, I encourage you just to pause and to stop. And let's pray this aloud together, asking God to teach us, to instruct us, to form us so that we might actually be a blessing to our community. Pray with me now. Calm us now, O Lord, into a quietness that heals and listens. Open wounded hearts, the balm of your word. Speak to us in clear tones so that we might feel our spirits leap for joy and skip with hope as your resurrection witnesses. Amen. So let's look back through this text. What I want to look at this morning, um, where we're going to start out is the need for solitude. Then we're going to look at the practice of solitude and we'll conclude with sort of the results, like what happens when we actually practice solitude. And so first, the need for solitude. Look back over verses 29 to 37, all right? There is all this stuff that's taken place. We could have read the prior verses and we would have, heard, we would have read about Jesus engaged in other healings and teachings and practices. And so just even starting at verse 29, it tells us that they leave the synagogue. There's been all this, this teaching. They go, all right, into this house, all right? And Simon Peter's, like, mother-in-law is actually sick, all right? She's got a fever, and Jesus reaches out. He touches her. She ends up heal, be, being healed. And then it tells us after that, and this is a fascinating little detail that Mark gives us, that evening at sundown. So here's what this means. The people there were, were well-trained. Their practice and habit has been, well, it's the Sabbath, and we can't do any sort of work. We can't be out in the community. But the moment the sun goes down, they've heard about Jesus, and now there's this, like, this massive crowd, it says, that's at the door. They're literally pressing in. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. Everybody's got something that they need from Jesus. They want to be healed, a loved one that they want healed. They want instruction on something. Uh, they just want to get around this man. Now, if you can imagine for Jesus, who, as you even just read, maybe take time uh, later today, just read through Mark chapter one. I mean, there's a lot packed into this. And so he has been on the go. He's on the move. He's calling his disciples. He's been baptized. He's been tempted out in the, the wilderness. And now he's starting his public ministry and the crowds are just pressing in and so on the one hand it's glorious and exciting it's like wow that's amazing and yet on the other hand i think the man's just got to be tired he's got to be worn out 
And so when we get to verse 35, it tells us, and we'll look at this more in depth in just a moment. I think what's so fascinating is rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. And now listen, I think that's descriptive, not prescriptive. So if you're the person that like, I like to get up super early in the morning, like there's the verse, I got back up. Yeah, maybe. Um, But if you're like, hey, that's not my, that's not the way I rule. It's also okay, just breathe, all right? Doesn't, it's not about the particular time, but there is some really helpful descriptions here of the rhythms of Jesus. And so it tells us that while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place. He gets away from the crowds and there he prayed and he's connecting with his father. Now, what is so fascinating here is by verse 36, it says, Simon and those who were with him, they're frantic at this point because Jesus has sort of slipped out and they know that there's crowds and crowds of people that still want more time with Jesus. There's still more people to be healed. There's more instruction. There's more teaching to be had. There's all sorts of things that are happening. And you can actually kind of hear it here in the exclamation that, uh, that Peter makes, that Simon makes. It's like they found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And I think there's some judgment in that. Maybe I'm reading into that, but I think what's going on is like, Jesus, like, where have you been? There's important things. Do you not care about these people? Do you not care about these ones that that are suffering? Like, every person is looking for you. Like, what gives? Like, what in the world? What are you doing? Now, in this, let me just ask you to consider when the pressures of life and they're different than the pressures of Jesus, all right? I don't have people lining up at my door just waiting to, to be healed. But the reality is all of us face certain pressures, pressures relationally and pressures perhaps in the family, the workplace, pressures about what to do with, if you got kids, with, with school, all right? We're all trying to figure the, these things out. And then in this time, in this place, everything feels magnified. All of us have like decision fatigue, like everything that maybe normally would have been like, oh, I'll just make that decision, suddenly just feels like loaded and weighty. And it's like, wow. And just, there's a fatigue that's set in. And that's the world that we live in. Now, what happens to you? Like when you find life getting busy, when you feel the pressure is mounting, let me ask yourself, like, what do you do when life gets busier and busier and busier? I imagine for many of us, we just sort of double down on, all right, got to power through. I got to get through this. These things have to be done. What's fascinating about these verses is apparently the only person in the world without a savior complex is actually the savior of the world, Jesus, right? Like too often I take things on to say, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to handle this. And here you have Jesus with all these needs and he's actually able to solve all of them, unlike me, all right? He still retreats, he gets away. That Jesus understands something about how, what it means to be fully human, to be fully alive, is to actually get time alone, to get time in prayer. How is it with you, church? How, how does your heart respond to the busyness and the noise and everything that's going on? Do you double down on busyness? Kind of grin and bear it and just kind of like, I'm gonna get through this. Or will you follow the way of Jesus to hear his invitation to, to come and to rest? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, comments on this. He even says, from the moment we wake up, there's all these things that come rushing at us. And he, he likens it to wild animals. So here, the, this quote, he says this, the real problem of the Christian life comes 
where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day, they rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And so on all day, standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings coming in out of the wind. I think that's a marvelous description of what happens when we first wake up. Maybe we reach, reach for the phone and we check that email or we see that text message or our mind is just filled with all the things that we have to do. And before we knew it, know it, we are like on and like we're, we've hardly engaged or talked with, let alone God, with anybody else. And we're just in this sort of frantic pace. What would it look like to engage and to see like our actual need for solitude. If the savior of the world needed solitude, how arrogant am I, how prideful am I to think like, no, I'm good, I'll just keep pressing on. And so this practice here, it confronts us, it asks us to consider for a moment, who do I really believe is in charge? Do I really think that everything hinges on me? My Actions, my behavior would, I know that intellectually, that's, a, that's terrible, that's not true, but my behavior would say, it's all on me. And Jesus is inviting us into this practice of solitude. So do you see your need? Do I see my need? So let's look now back at verse 35 specifically and see this practice of Jesus, this practice of solitude. And it tells us here, put the words up on, on the, the screen too, because I want us to pay attention to the verbs that, that, that are used. And then we'll actually look at this word desolate, like what that actually is communicating. It says, and rising. So there's our first kind of action-oriented word there. Right? He's rising very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he, what, he departed, went out to a desolate place. And there, the last thing, he prayed. And so as we think about that, I mean, it's very clear. Mark wants us to know this was a habit, a rhythm a discipline of Jesus, there's an intentionality to this. Now, all the particulars, all right, of how we bring that into the 21st century, there's gonna be some things that look different. I already said, I don't think the point is that you have to do that before the sun is up. If that's how you roll, great. Maybe for some of you, it's gonna be getting time, like after the sun has set, some of you, it's gonna be the middle of the day. But what would it look like for us to practice solitude? And what does that actually even look like? And so I hope to spell out a bit of just some specifics here, some things where we can be encouraged, but we have to see that this is a regular practice of Jesus. In fact, another gospel account, Luke chapter five, Luke makes nine references to Jesus doing this throughout his gospel. It says, but now even more, the report about him went abroad. That means more and more people are interested in Jesus. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. You notice the language there. Luke is telling us not only did he go to a desert place, like he would withdraw. Like this is a habit. This is a rhythm. If you were able to just kind of like uh, observe Jesus's life, you would see this over and over and over again. But Jesus didn't desire it just for himself. He invites his disciples in. So in Mark chapter uh, six, verses 30 to 31, the apostles returned to Jesus. So they've been out on this, this mission and he told them all, or sorry, and told them all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place 
and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. This busyness, it's not always tied to like bad things. It's not always tied to like pressures or things that were unexpected or trials or difficulties. I mean, the disciples had just returned and amazing things had been done, things that they got to teach all through the power of God's spirit. But as they return, what does Jesus do? He's like, hey, my brothers, it's important. Let's get away for a little bit. There's this description that we're given to that they didn't even have enough sort of leisure to eat. Jesus invites them to come and to get away. And I find that also very, very interesting. He says, to a desolate place and rest a while. So sometimes Jesus goes to a desolate place and he prays. Sometimes he goes to a desolate place and apparently it's just to rest or maybe just to simply enjoy a meal and get away from it all. Now in this, we have to see when the scriptures speak of this, solitude brings actually like a fulfillment. Solitude is, is not simply just, it's not an escape. That's not what the scriptures are speaking of. If we have an escapist mindset, it means we actually don't care about people. What drives us actually is the love relationship we have with God and the love relationship we have with our brothers and sisters and out into the community. And we know we need this. There's this word here now that has been used over and over again, all right? This uh, eremos, all right? And it's this idea here that can get translated as desolate or lonely. Some of your translations, it also gets translated as wilderness. And so what I want us to consider for a moment is how do you think about that? How do you think about going out to the desolate place, to the lonely place, to the quiet place, to the wilderness? Is that a place actually of weakness of like, well, that's for those that can't hack it. That's for those that need a break. They can't stay in the game. They're like, sub me out, right? Now, again, we see Jesus doing this over and over and over again. It can't be the place of weakness. It's actually the place of wisdom. It's actually the place where strength comes from. One of the fascinating accounts, if we were to read just a few verses earlier in Mark chapter one, in fact, you can go and read this in Matthew four, you can read this in Luke's account as well, you actually get more detail, is after Jesus' baptism, he is driven out by the spirit into the Eremos, into the wilderness. And it's there where he doesn't eat for 40 days. He fasts for 40 days. And then the tempter, the evil one, Satan shows up and begins to tempt Jesus. Now, that when I always read that, I can tend to think, oh yeah, he's out in the wilderness there. Like that's a place of weakness, like he's vulnerable. But I don't think that's the accurate way to read this. Look at these words, Mark chapter one, 12 to 13. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And as you go and read more descriptive accounts, like in Matthew chapter four, what you will find is that Jesus is actually able to stand up to the temptations. He does it by speaking the truth, speaking the word of God back to the one. There's so many things that we can learn. There's so many layers of things that are happening here about uh, Jesus identifying himself as like the, the true Israel, like he's got representing God's people and how they were led out of slavery I and mean, all of the, these things. But at another layer as well, those 40 days, it wasn't in a place of weakness and vulnerability, even though he certainly was hungry. It was actually the place of strength that Jesus was getting ready for his battle with the enemy. And there in the wilderness, there in the desolate place, there in the quiet place, in the lonely place, he was being strengthened. I need that kind of strength. 
You need that kind of strength. And the God of the universe is offering it to us, but too often we're like, nah, I'm good or I'll get to that later. And so church, let me put before you just a few things to consider. And I love the, these words as, we, as we'll kind of look at some practical things. Henry Nouwen said it this way, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. We need a few moments. Now, I don't know the particulars of your story. I don't know what your day looks like. I don't know what your responsibilities are. I don't know how much chaos is just sort of going around, but I do know this. The God of the universe is inviting us. And I know this. No one had more things on his plate than Jesus did. And he knew that he needed to get alone time with the Father time alone to meditate on the truths of scriptures, time to pray, time to enjoy a meal, all of these things so that he might actually be strengthened. What if instead of when the things get really busy and the pressures you know, increased, we actually followed the way of Jesus and said, you know what, before I move on with this, I gotta take 15 minutes. I gotta get an hour here. I gotta get some time to just be with my father, to just be with God, to just sort of talk to him, whatever that would look like. So this is not an exhaustive list, but let me put a few things before you that I think could be helpful in cultivating this. And my challenge for us this week, church, is let's try and practice this this week to carve out some actual time to do this. The particulars are gonna look different, the time, the, the place, all of that. But there's an invitation here. And so first thing I'd put before you is in practicing this, to be consistent to try and get time on a daily basis. Now, there's no, this is not a legalistic thing. This is not a guilt thing. This is not like, hey, you, you didn't get your time of solitude, shame, shame on you. All right, that's not it. It's rather trying to orient our time and our schedules and just finding a pocket of time. And some of you are gonna be really good at scheduling that out. Maybe that's how you're wired. That's great. Some of you, it's just gonna be more in the moment and just saying, I need to go and do this. Whatever it looks like, Try it for a week. Be consistent in doing that. This next thing I put before you, maybe a strange way to say it, is to be cut off. Now, I don't mean be cut off exclusively like from other people. I mean, let's cut ourselves off from our devices for at least a few minutes a day. I think this could really help us, all right? So maybe it's taken 30 minutes to power down your phone, your tablet, your computer, whatever it happens to be. Maybe you're like, hey, I can just go put it in this basket or in another room and I won't be tempted to look at it. That, that's great. I think for me, it probably just needs to be like powered down and like thrown in a river. That's probably about the, the level of just the, the continued distraction. But whatever it looks like for you, let's take some time and actually do this. So we would be consistent. We would intentionally take some time to just like, hey, these things distract us. They're good gifts, right? I'm not anti-technology. We're doing this right now via technology. Praise God for it. But I also know that in the busyness of life and when the pressures mount, what I often choose is, can I just see what's on Netflix? Can I just let it roll to that next episode starting in five, four, three, and on we go. I can just scroll through a social media feed, right? We find ourselves just amused and distracted and not connecting with God. And so be consistent, take some time to to cut those things off. I'd put before you as well, 
um, there's an invitation here to be creative. Meaning this, not, not a pressure to be creative, but a freedom to be creative, that it doesn't have to look the same way for all of us. This might be the time that you get up and uh, you spend some time in the word and, and prayer. Maybe you're somebody that likes to, to journal out your, your thoughts. That's amazing. Um, if you feel a pressure to journal, guess what? Let me free you from that. Like it's not in the Bible, all right? So you can just breathe and just be like, oh, I, then I, the super committed Christians all seem to do that. No, no, no. Like it doesn't have to be that way. One author I read this week, all right, here's how pragmatic. He said, listen, you might long for the hour and to be cut off and, and all of that, but sometimes we just gotta get creative. And it's just like in the chaos and the craziness, it's like, hey, I'm actually gonna go do some laundry right now because I can actually get away from all of y'all. All right, maybe it's gonna be, hey, there's an errand that I need to do. I'm gonna go to the grocery store. I just need some time alone. And I'm gonna talk to God as I, as I drive. Um, one author even said this, all right? Let's redeem the restroom, all right? So we're gonna get really practical, all right? Don't take your phone in there, all right? Um, but rather, what would it look like to actually use that time? Now, maybe that's gross. And you're like, I can't believe you're talking about that. But just be creative. Try and figure out some ways. There are pockets of time that we have throughout our day. And we tend to, I tend to, give in to busyness, distraction. Go for a walk. Enjoy creation. Have a conversation. Like Find pockets of time. All of these activities, we look at this last week, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whatever you do, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Guess what all is referring to? Like all, all of life is loaded with significance. So it can be a spiritual activity for you to go for a walk. It can be a spiritual activity for you to actually say, I'm gonna just get out and I'm gonna go for a drive, to spend time in prayer. Like we tend to get that those things are spiritual activities and we should like, hey, we wanna connect with God and talk with him. But sometimes we simply just need to get away for a few moments. And in that, there's an invitation, I think, to be curious, to be curious about what is going on at a heart level, at a soul level, to process through. That might involve you being really like away from people, but it's also possible to experience solitude, all right? Even while you're around groups of people and you're maybe in a coffee shop or where, I don't know what that all looks like in this day and age right now, but to get some time to just focus and to ask your heart some kind of reflective questions to begin thinking through like, hey, how am I processing these interactions? What was it that frustrated me? Like, why was it that when I got that email or that text, it like something was happening in, in my heart? Why was it that when that person said this thing, I, I didn't know, quite know how to respond or I found myself responding in a way that I, I know that wasn't Christ-like? Kyle David Bennett in his uh, book, Practice of Love, says it this way. This solitude can be a time for us to ask questions. How have others been perceiving me lately? Are they easily annoyed with me? Are they terse with me? What has my attitude been toward them? Have I been distant? What do others expect of me? What sorts of initiative and responses do they expect from me? How and where could I exemplify Jesus to them? Now again, it's not that those questions are the ones you have to ask, but they start to get at what we're invited to in solitude. I imagine for Jesus, with all the crowds, all the people pressing in, he had this opportunity when he praying and talking to his father to just connect with him and to share his heart, to share the pressures and the things that were going on. I mean, isn't this what we see near the end of Jesus' life when he's praying in Gethsemane and he's pouring out his heart and saying, Father, if this cup can pass, I mean, 
there's an anguish there. There's an honesty there. It's what we see throughout the scriptures, what we see in the Psalms. I was in a, a meeting not too long ago and the man opened it in prayer and throughout the prayer, he kept saying this, he used this language, dad, will you help us in this? Dad, will you help us? In this? And it was like sort of jarring to, to me, all right? Um, but what was he doing? It's jarring only because he had a level of just sort of intimacy and closeness and not just because he used that word, but there seemed to be something very heartfelt. It's like, hey, he's just going to his dad to talk and to pour out his heart. That's the invitation in solitude. So let's look at how this passage wraps up. If we've seen like, here's the need for solitude and here's some practices and maybe you've got other things that, that you would add to that or things that have been helpful, like that's awesome. But let's take some time the, this week, all right, to be committed to it, um, that we might actually cut ourselves off from the things that would distract for just a short period of time, that we would be creative and trying to find pockets of time, that we'd be curious about what's going on kind of underneath the surface of it. It's what we see here in 36 to 39 as I read these verses is the results of solitude. What happens here in the life of Jesus? Look with me again at verse 36. So Simon and those who were with him, they searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you, which means, right, they're just adding to the pressure. They're like, hey, Jesus, we got a lot of work for you to do. Whether you agreed to it or not, we've got expectations. We think you should do X, Y, and Z. Everyone is looking for you. But notice Jesus' response. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus is focused certainly on the deeds that he does and the healings, but he says, the reason I came is that I might preach. Well, what's he preaching? He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. Repent and believe. Believe that Jesus is the king. Believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Believe that Jesus is the one who actually makes it possible for us to be in relationship with God vertically and horizontally out with other people. And so he says, let's go on. Like he leaves even good opportunities to continue to move forward and goes out into all that region, it tells us, because he had this work to do. Verse 39, so he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogue, so there's the ministry of the word, and casting out demons, the ministry of deeds, of action, and both of those things coming together. And so as we think about, well, what are the results of this solitude? What are the results of getting time, connecting with the Father? I would put it to you this way, that what Jesus is experiencing, we see this all throughout the gospel accounts, I would say is both communion and clarity. Communion meaning he's connecting with his father. He's cultivating that relationship. He's enjoying the presence of God. And out of that flows a greater clarity into his mission. As we've been talking about in this series, we are being formed spiritually into the image and likeness of Christ, but for the sake of others. That as we practice this, it should be giving us some clarity of like, oh, here's who God is calling me to serve. It's not just love your neighbor in just sort of this abstract way. It's like, no, love your neighbor. Like the people that live next to you, the people you work with, the family members, the relationships that you have, the person that you just happen to meet, that person. Love them, seek them out, care for them. There's this communion and there's a clarity of call. 
that Jesus repeatedly will leave even good opportunities at times because he knows that there's this ultimate calling that he has of both to love God, but to love us. That what Jesus is doing here, after he gets time in solitude, he actually has not only the people there in mind, he knows what's going to happen into the future. He knows where his story is gonna go. He knows he's gonna end up on a cross and he knows actually that you need Jesus and that I need Jesus and that all of humanity needs Jesus across all the generations forever. And he gets this clarity as he spends time. I love the way that Luke talks about this. He talks about Jesus in the midst of all these good opportunities and the busyness and just the amazing things that are happening. Jesus comes to this point and he's like, but I gotta go. He gets clarity of what it means to love other people. Luke 9, 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face. It's this picture of determination, of intentionality, because he knows Jerusalem is not simply just the place where he's gonna go and hang out with some people and spend some time in the temple. He knows that he's going there to die. He has this clarity that's fueled by the communion that he has with his father, and he's getting a clarity of call. In fact, this is a reference by Luke back to this ancient passage out of the book of Isaiah. Hear these words. They're spoken of the suffering servant. They're spoken hundreds of years before about the life of Jesus, the one who would spend time with the father and then would get this clarity of call of what it means to love others, what it means to love you and to love me. This is what drove Jesus, Isaiah chapter 50, verses six to seven. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Now look at this. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. There's that communion with God. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. I've set my face like a flint. That is like Luke chapter nine. He sets his face to go to Jerusalem. This image of a flint, it's that there's sparks, there's opposition, there's hardship, there's going to be trial. Why is he doing that? Why is Jesus doing that? You wanna know why? So that you and I could have communion with our Father that you and I could experience all that he has experienced when the father spoke words over him. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased as Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism that our God desires to be in relationship and Jesus would do this to get us back so that we could have communion. And then in turn, as we spend time with him, as we're united with our heavenly father, as we're brought into relationship, we can have a clarity of call that this isn't meant to terminate on us. It's not just, oh, get some solitude so that you and Jesus and the father and the spirit like, can have this great time together, but rather that that would fuel your sending out and that you and I might have a clarity of call. So church, this is what we're invited into. I'll close with these words from the great pastor and preacher, theologian Charles Spurgeon, who comments on what takes place here, what has happened. He says, oh, you redeemed ones, on whose behalf this strong resolve was made, you who have been bought by the precious blood of this steadfast, resolute redeemer, come and think a while of him, that your hearts may burn within you, and that your faces may be set like flints to live and die for him who lived and died for you. Church, may we this week, 
engage in the rhythm and the practice of solitude, that we might enjoy the communion with God and that it might help set our face like Flint to love and to serve our neighbor, to serve this world that desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel. Church, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness and your grace, your mercy toward us. I pray, God, that you would make us into the kinds of people that recognize our desperate need to connect with you. I pray that you would meet us in those quiet places, those places, the desolate places, the wilderness. Jesus, thank you that you ultimately went into the, the wilderness, cast outside of the city to go up on a hill and to be crucified, to die for our sins, for our shame, for our rebellion. Thank you that you've made it possible, that you've made a way for us to experience communion with the Father that we've been created for. And now a communion with our brothers and sisters out into the broader community. So Holy Spirit, lead us into the desolate places. Lead us into the wilderness. Lead us into the quiet and the lonely places that we might actually connect and then that we might get that clarity I pray, God, that as we do that, that you would get your glory, that we as your people would experience a deep and abiding joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.